I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talk to the Audience where this is always death. I am one of your hosts Bob Mackey and I think Joe Biden ought to do more thinking and less Biden than who is here with me today. Hey it's Henry Gilbert wearing my memorial nacho hat for this uh, wonderful episode. And in case you don't know Talk to the Audience is our monthly community podcast and in this podcast we go over what's happening in the Simpsons world and in our world and then we respond to questions and comments from the last month's worth of episodes and if you're on the Patreon this is the last episode of the month in the Talking Simpsons slot and if you're on the free feed this is the first episode of the month in the Talking Simpson slot. And yes, the Biden era has begun and it is time to heal. So yeah. we are here and we're currently healing. <laughs> yeah. Every, I'm casting so many spells. Uh, and we signed a bunch of podcast executive orders yesterday. We've uh, <laughs> we've just declared war on Family Guy. It's now <laughs> yeah. enemy of the state. Yeah. You know, we we put more sanctions on them. It just has yes. to, uh, those. Uh, that's not the same as droning someone. We <laughs> will starve Seth MacFarlane out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we are recording this the day after the inauguration. So we're a little politics pun but yeah. uh january you know it's uh it was something this january wasn't it Bob? so many things uh. happened between the recording of the last talk to the audience in this one because we recorded that probably at the last possible moment we could have recorded it maybe mm-hmm. like two days before it went live uh, yeah, yeah yeah and uh so that was at the very end of december and many things happened i got married and then Ooh. I came back to America on the day of the uh, quote-unquote coup. Yep, yeah. It was more of a selfie opportunity. <laughs> I know people died, but once they got into the building, they're like, uh, I guess we just hang out here and climb uh, things. And They were waiting for the final order for Trump to go like, and now kill everybody. It's like, but they wouldn't, he didn't do it. When the moment came, he was just like, uh, hey, turn it down, guys. Like, don't be violent. Like, oh, oh God. Right. I mean, yeah, this the, moment. There's going to be a little bit of politics in this episode, but he <laughs> sold everyone out immediately. Really the second he was going to get in big boy trouble, the second he, he caught a whiff of big boy trouble, he was just mm. like, uh, I wish Joe Biden best of luck. Yeah, uh, everybody shut up and go home. And what surprised me was that there was not, there has not been a Q drop since December 8th. Mm. Q should have launched some kind of message during that siege. So, yeah. Because now yeah. every, I mean, it's good. It's a good thing. But now uh, all the QAnon people are completely disillusioned. I really want to see what happens to them now. We're talking about the handling of a brand of Q. Yeah. The, I, I'm glad they're disempowered. And I, I obviously, I am glad Trump didn't actually tell his followers to like literally kill everyone in Congress. But yeah, I mean, it also, so that was two weeks ago. Yeah. And then, and then he got impeached again, which had to happen. Like he, he did incite a mob of people to storm congress like there's uh it's weird i'm glad they finally impeached him on something that wasn't just like an incredibly complicated russiagate thing that ultimately makes no sense and it isn't very exciting this one's obvious it's like you told people to storm congress and they did yes i mean this is such old news and these are very old takes on it but i thought it was especially funny how he was like let's go over there and i'll go with you and then he didn't go with them and he immediately disavowed everybody (laughs) oh god and then and then he went away from twitter no more trump on twitter which uh does feel good it's like yeah i i mean who's gonna be in the replies to people you can't uh, you're gonna be in the replies to donald trump jr like no why waste your time one of the funniest things about his basically tacit call for a coup 
was that that entire speech ended with uh, the playing of YMCA. Yes, it was yeah. totally on brand. Uh, Not even Macho Man. That yeah. was the time for Macho Man. Oh God! And even seeing like here the shot you've probably seen it of him getting on Air Force One for the final time yesterday as Macho Man played. Oh, I like, missed the ma- the playing of Macho Man. Yeah, apparently I at first I thought it was a fake thing added over it, but it was like no, he had finished his speech and they played Macho Man as he walked to the plane and he was doing it he was it wasn't his most enthusiastic mm. hand pump but it was there yeah, but yeah. That, but it took the wind out of old donnie sales but yeah those <laughs> are our like uh, just a shotgun blast of political uh news up front yes, but we yeah. live we, we just live through all of that it's not simpsons related but we just experienced it all in america yes yeah simpsons predicted it uh well we'll get to that news uh but yes yeah, simpsons news uh we have some unfortunate news up front yeah. in that a passing of a simpsons writer uh, we recorded, uh, I believe it was Insane Clown Poppy, and that's where I said one of the writers was the only other writer outside of Sam Simon who passed away. There was actually another oh, Don one. Payne. Don yeah. Payne. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Don Payne passed away in like 2013. Uh, also, J. Michael Mendel, he's another writer. Uh, he was a regular writer, I believe, in season five along right. with this guy. He also passed away. He was uh, on Rick and Morty, the last thing he did. Yes, yeah. So I, I was wrong that. about that. So there's two other people, but now there's three. And unfortunately, David Richardson, who was a super producer on season five uh passed away recently uh he has only has one credited episode to his name but that episode is homer loves flanders yes a, a true classic of an episode and i i remember he's pretty funny on the commentary because he sounds like he was kind of miserable writing on the simpsons and he tells the story of like writing the script for this one while um living uh, while dating an unnamed actress who was oh, like filming yeah. something and he was uh, at the filming location but i mean he only wrote one episode but if you look at season five's credits he is supervising producer on all of it so mm-hmm. he had an impact on that entire amazing season and uh, i noticed that with merkin took over there was a ton of hires because as we talked about like 85 percent of the simpson staff left mm-hmm. at the end of season four and i have noticed like richardson and a few others were only there for season five so i feel like not everyone uh jive with merkin's kind of uh, <laughs> style i think yeah or his leadership his kind of leadership yeah i mean there's there's the story on the record uh about about difficulties in the writer's room as uh during season five i mean i think a major sticking point was the credit crossover and merkin sided with brooks while a lot of the writers on the simpsons at the time did not uh like it that much and uh, it's it's weird because i do i do believe personally that season five is the best season of simpsons and i think merkin uh led uh, it well but creatively but you just hear these stories it sounds like boy high turnover under merkin lots of people not happy and uh i mean i've heard and i've heard things said by writers on the commentaries that feel like boy i feel like you're you're talking around your anger towards merkin or your <laughs> disappointment in a merkin script or something i feel like uh, those battles were so long ago they can laugh about them but a lot of people were probably miserable yeah uh, but uh yeah even bill oakley and josh weinstein on, on our interviews were like that we clearly didn't really get along so he just sent us away to work on our own mm-hmm. and that honestly i think made it a better season five so great is like you look at the ratio of episodes season five like half the season 
is you know Merkin with new writers uh, or he wrote the script himself and he's also and he's got so many great writers and then I think the 40 to 50 percent of the season are Swartz uh Swartzwelder or Oakley and Weinstein mm-hmm. and those ones seem uh almost like their own thing away from that then get Merkinized but but anyway back to David Richardson uh, but yeah, yeah just a very long and storied career uh, only on Simpsons for a year but just so many things to his credit he passed away at 65 yeah he I think he was like exec producer, co-exec producer on F is for Family. Yeah, that was the most recent one, uh, his most recent role as a writer. Yeah, it's uh, very, very sad. He and actually, uh, the writer, the creator of that show retweeted me when I gave uh, more credits about Richardson, just oh, to give context. Oh, yeah. yeah, Michael Price. Yeah, yeah the, the co-creator with Burr. Yeah, yeah. That's... He follows me on Twitter. We might be able to get him for He's an interview. He's to get Price then. Yeah, all right. This... <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then he can tell us more about Richardson too, I mm-hmm. think. But it's, uh, yeah, the, the inventor of the nacho hat is uh, no longer with us. And they uh, have not seen one of those to date. So yeah, what the hell? When, I... when we get sports back, you have to, <laughs> celebrate by you know building the nacho hat for fans i guess construction wise it is kind of impossible. i've i've watched uh youtube videos of like trying to make the nacho hat and it's like uh it can't really maintain its shape and also the nacho to cheese ratio is kind of off yeah it will scald your skull too yes that too yeah or you've got room temperature cheese and that's not very dippable no you can't do that you gotta act fast with that nacho hat (laughs) so uh up next in our news a little tweet went viral comparing the uh old opening the old non-hd opening of the simpsons to the newer one that's now been in use for over 10 years uh and i've seen this before actually this is the latest time i've seen it uh on my twitter feed and it's a comparison of Marge uh, turning her head to uh, see Maggie's in the grocery bag in each mm-hmm. respective opening. You can really see how very, very stiff and robotic it is in the new opening. Yeah, it's like, I think I saw someone else breaking down of like, it's like six frames of a head move or something. It's just, and it's the stock motion of Marge moving her head from right to from left to right but the original one it's it was just an unneeded flourish that makes it so much more special of just marge the stage direction i'm sure was just marge is shocked and she's like whoa where's maggie oh there she is but her head turn creates like this swirl it's yeah. like a spiral it's it's beautiful and uh, her entire body moves yeah. like when she's turning around to like see maggie pop out so yeah i feel like i don't want to say it's his fault completely but maybe the old opening was a little too cartoony for old buddy macaraining i mean yeah i that that was my first guess too but, i feel like they they push away from off modelness as much as they can and that that flourish is is about as off model as anything gets in that opening i also feel like uh, it was probably one of the first things they made with their digital tools so maybe uh, that could be why it looks so much rougher and especially now that they're getting a lot more uh, use out of them and have learned to work with them over the past decade so mm. let's just kick start a new opening let's all fund it yeah, together yeah i mean honestly if disney plus wants to make once my i've suggested many times once the disney plus original seasons whenever that begins i think that's a good excuse for a new opening but i guess they also made that H- the new hd opening to be even more modular than the original one was so yeah. it's just like there's 800 places to put new jokes so i i feel like they're not gonna do the, it'd be a lot to throw out or re- maybe reconfigure just every 20 years new opening so we'll get a new one in about seven or eight years yeah <laughs> i like that and uh simpsons predicted 
predicted it? Question yes, mark. Yeah. Uh, yes. The Simpsons predicted that Kamala Harris, or sorry, Kamala Harris. I still have to train myself to say her name correctly. That's why I just wrote VP Harris Thank in my you. notes. I was like, you just let's just call her Vice President Harris. Easy. <laughs> uh, I still think of the wrestler. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, they predicted that she would wear clothes that are purple. <laughs> uh, well, yes. Yeah, so there's, as everyone knows, the scene which got shared a whole lot yesterday of of uh, President Lisa on her first day in office she is wearing a purple pantsuit uh with a gray blouse underneath and then pearls and a number of people pointed out that uh vice president harris's inauguration day outfit as she was sworn in as you know the first woman uh vice president in american history when she was sworn in she was wearing a purple pantsuit though with a purple uh blouse underneath Mm. and pearls as well and many people pointed it out to the point that the simpsons writers were engaging in it too i i saw mike scully going like yeah yeah we i guess we predicted it again but he in his tweet did the very right thing which i don't think enough people do which is he credited the artist he's like yeah. seriously director mike Mar- markantel and writer artist ron Hauge probably worked out this look uh episode written by dan graney and graney replied the real gem is grown-up communications guy Millhouse's turtleneck. This was before a turtleneck was identified with Steve Jobs and played more goofy, sexy 70s intellectual. Mm-hmm. So I, I like getting extra comments on that. I will say that uh, this is this is kind of interesting. Whenever whenever they do these, whenever I see these online, it's always like a bit of a reach. But this is just like a stunning coincidence. <laughs> and uh, I will say uh, what makes it lesser for me is that uh, business wear for women hasn't really changed that much in the past 20 years. Like the, the pantsuit look. Yeah, I mean, the outfit they designed for her was hillary like it yeah was, they it was really a comment on hillary will be president someday i mean the the one of the things that doesn't go viral from that episode is lisa saying she's the first straight <laughs> yeah. female president which definitely as we talked about with mike drucker he, the great mike drucker on that episode definitely felt like a joke towards his and hillary secretly a lesbian kind of comedy of the late 90s definitely and i think also uh purple was a theme like a color theme for the inauguration lots of people wearing purple i, I saw a headline of an article but i didn't actually read the article well, about Bob, the when, color purple when red and blue come together oh my god oh it really is that it isn't actually it? is that I, <sighs> everyone yes, yeah. please stop doing the obama impersonation i think everybody should just wear blue maybe you yes know, maybe when the red guys just all tried to kill you we won maybe, yes you won we won act like you won that's uh <laughs> I, I didn't do the color math on that one so thank yeah, you no it's uh it's depressing to yeah. think about it that way and it well also so it feels like um i don't know it obviously the simpsons predicted a president trump and all that but it also feels like a goalpost moving because like i i would prefer a president harris to a president biden as well if you made me have to pick one of them oh yeah me too and i don't like that it's like you you're acting like the that Harris became the president that day, just like Lisa's the president in that scene. It's like no, she she has to work for an old white man yeah. in what is historically one of the least important jobs in Washington D.C. A lot of the rest of that scene is erased. People really only focus on the one line oh, because yeah. it is it is the most important part of the scene. I pedantically took that to <laughs> task on Twitter yesterday of like that it one it it also shows that a budget crunch from the previous administration is going to cause them to cut a whole bunch of social uh issues and belt tightening and it's all about the deficit and all that 
But secondly, it imagines that the previous administration, President Trump's, invested heavily in social programs for young people, which is like, that would never, that definitely did not happen. <laughs> and it also shows how a lot of liberal politicians, especially of that era, were had these like pet projects that were essentially useless, like Lisa's uh, world's largest bookmobile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead of like funding libraries. Mm, yeah. It's yeah. like this political theater. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I, I wish people took more lessons from that one, but... Uh, uh, but still, it was it was cute to see the the Simpsons people engage with it, especially the the passing around of credit there. And uh, though annoyingly, I didn't see any Simpsons related memes to the king of the inauguration memes, Bernie Sanders. Oh yeah, I haven't seen any of those yet, and that's been a very popular meme. Maybe it won't be by the time this goes live, <laughs> but uh, so many Etsy shops have popped up. You can get your sitting Bernie on any number of uh, apparel or mug or whatever you want, keychains. Yeah, I I it. it is my favorite meme of that time i mean look is this me turning sanders uh celebrity worship in the same way that everybody's like finally biden is great like sure yes it is but i like bernie sanders yes and it's fun to see an old man wearing the same jacket he always wears it's it's really funny because uh him just living his life uh makes him seem human because he is he's very down to earth we've seen the way he lives yes yeah. we've seen his house but uh, the PR for uh, Kamala and Biden, it's always like, they're just like you. They enjoy ice cream. They wear shoes. They have to try very hard to make these like career politicians seem human. But Bernie just has to sit down with mittens on. Yeah. And part of it being human is being a grouch. Yeah. And I like that. We're all yeah. pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And also, that that was how I felt of like, I just kind of want to fold my arms and be like, can this inauguration be fucking over and let's get to $2,000 yeah. already? Getting my health insurance and $2,000 uh, and all, yeah. all the other spoils of, yeah. uh, of war. It was uh, there were a lot of funny Bernie related to animation ones there, like the the one of Bugs in his like Hollywood outfit with his sun hat and sunglasses curled up on the chair. I really like that one. I I saw another one that I didn't know the in Japan the name for the um, for the electric legendary Pokemon uh, Zapdos is uh thunders oh, okay. and that apparently it also is how you would spell sanders in katakana and so somebody drew that character as uh grumpy Bernie. i did see that but i didn't get it and now i do yes, so i'm happy yeah. it's uh there's there's lots of fun ones out there of uh, at least bernie things but yeah i mean this that is the hope i'm holding on to is that bernie does apparently have a really good position in the senate now and can actually uh hopefully prevent the kind of austerity as best as possible that came in uh the start of uh, obama's administration I'm very happy he's still fighting for us yes yeah well i guess speaking of uh kitchen table politics there was a, there was a good article i read this month yes too. Yeah. on the atlantic by writer uh danny rice camp the article is called the life in the simpsons is no longer attainable and uh yeah it's a pretty interesting article and it's interesting to see just how much america has declined since 1989 <laughs> where 1989 we were living in the hangover of like post-industrial america the money was still there but quickly being dried up like yep. there was very little left but there was still enough for this family to afford a house it was still kind of unrealistic with only one earner in the family that did feel like a hallmark of uh you know uh the the uh the, the post-war boom era yeah, yeah but i feel like it was still fairly realistic and their money problems were always an issue in the first two seasons but uh now it, it just seems ridiculous we are all we we're all frank freaking out about this family <laughs> even more than he did uh, yeah it's it's impossible that someone could have all those things and now 
now i mean it it gets more ridiculous by the day now thinking of like a single income family owning with three children owning that much of a house and but also like homer's job being a union job too like that seems impossible like there's i it's i i think the newer episodes comment on it a little bit but it's also funny to think like in the mid 90s i think they were much more uh, clear especially the Merkin years where like schools have no money they're yeah. shoving children into every corner they can like all multiple episodes were about the destruction of the middle class i i liked that a lot and like yeah uh homer and marge were uh were boomers when the show started and yes. they still had that generational wealth even if they weren't very wealthy now they'd be millennials and living a much different life if the show just started <laughs> like last year and and i know it wasn't in like the series bible but in season three in uh, the maggie's first word episode when they are season four when they explain how they bought that house that it was grandpa sold his house and then they had the down payment to buy the house that does make sense like that the boomers parents my parents needed some money from their uh their parents to help buy a house like that's that is a lot of how it works back then. oh yeah my grandma helped my mom out a lot and the only reason i was able to make it out here is my grandma passed away <laughs> and i got an inheritance a very very small one but still enough uh more than the zero i was making every week without a job so eventually that post-war money is going to get sucked up by every awful part of our society yeah. but uh well but we get to be the last generation that's to spend it's, that nickel <laughs> we pulled up the rope ladder yeah. you're on your own zoomers <laughs> uh but yeah that article sometimes the Atlantic publishes awful people like David Frum, Ugh. but I do really, this article was pretty good. I, I liked it a lot. I, I liked, uh, by the way, I liked uh, writer David Roth's description of David Frum as a, a plush Yoda doll that's been soaking in cognac for a year. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah. I love that guy. He's a hideous uh, man, both inside and outside. Yes, yeah. Not David Roth, David <laughs> no, Frum. David Frum, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck him. If you retweeted him, please stop doing yeah, that. Yeah, he's, he's a monster. Bad. Awful person. Uh, so in happier news, and I watched this episode actually right before Yo I left boy. Canada. So voice actress Jenny Yokobori replaced Tress McNeil as the voice of Kumiko, comic book guy's wife, and a relatively young voice actress, and this is her biggest job to date. And I like that they're doing this because... When uh, I was watching a lot of like early in the, in the 20s seasons, the 20 seasons with Nina when I was in Canada, we we're watching a ton of episodes. And whenever there'd be a, a female minority on the screen, I'd be like, here comes Tress McNeil. <laughs> Asian, Indian, whatever you want, Tress McNeil is doing the voice. A black woman. So one fewer job for Tress McNeil. Yeah, it's. Uh, I. I also. I saw Cookie Kwan in the background of a shot uh, of a recent one. I was like, she's probably never speaking again. I don't think she might be in the character model pack, but I don't think she's going to. Even if they replace her voice actress, like, how could you ask a Chinese American voice actress to be like, so could you do this like really <laughs> big and extreme accent? I think we've seen the death of Cookie Kwan in our yeah. lifetime. But but yeah, a, a, this is one of those positives of this new casting idea is that, you know, it does cause The Simpsons to spend more money on actors. But now here already is the best possible outcome of this kind of, you know, choice in casting is that here is a young actor, Jenny Yokobori, 
who barely has like five credits on her IMDb. And now she can say, I'm on the Simpsons. I'm a Simpsons voice actor. This, this lifted up another like talent in the voice acting world by, and gave an opportunity just by choosing not to have <laughs> a white woman mm-hmm. voice a Japanese American character. It's okay. Tress McNeil. She's very busy. She has all the jobs she needs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is not, Oh, Tress McNeil lost out on like what? Probably like $2,000. Like, she's she acts in everything she'll always be agnes skinner you've got she'll she has a job for life we our next episode oh no our most recent episode what a tribute to tress that was and her her screaming pipes her death rattles (laughs) uh so many five different types and speaking of tress mcneil she's also on disenchantment and part three of disenchantment is now on netflix uh 10 new episodes i'm only three in so no spoilers henry and of course we wouldn't spoil our audience no no but uh, i do think it's definitely picking up and I think I figured out what it wants to be, and I am really enjoying this uh, this this part three so far. Yeah, I I agree with that with those sentimonies, Bob. I uh, there's it's uh, don't click on the story about the Easter egg because it's from a much later episode, but there is a steamed hams reference someone found in there too. But yeah, generally about disenchantment uh, part three, which is really the start of the second season of twenty episodes. I think that's it is really them figuring out what they wanted to do. Like from part one to part two, it was still the same like production run. So I don't think there was as many adjustments as could be done. But in the second run, uh, they, I think, are making more adjustments that they learned from the reaction to the first couple hmm. uh, parts. I hate the way Netflix calls these I don't things. like them, so, yeah. I guess it's because you're not supposed to watch them uh, like, you know, piece by piece. You're supposed to sit down and watch yeah. it over the course of four hours or whatever. So this was my biggest problem with coming back to Disenchantment though, and it is just the way the media is presented. It's not their fault as creators, but it's that every time I've watched Disenchantment, it is over like a weekend or maybe four days total. And so I've watched parts one and two that way. And then when I got to part three and there are callbacks and references and, and I was like, yeah, wait, that character was somebody, right? It's just because I didn't, I guess I should have rewatched part two entirely before I watched this. Cause uh, it, I think it would really serve Disenchantment better to have a weekly release schedule yeah. instead of this binge dump. You know? More more to think about, but I guess that's just the way TV works. Yeah, and but... I feel like, uh, I kind of feel like it would be a better show if it didn't have the streaming model, but unfortunately that's just how shows are these days. I mean, that, it wouldn't, uh, the Netflix wouldn't have paid for it if it yeah. wasn't going to be the streaming model and it might not exist. So, but uh, yeah. it's a very, still a very pretty show. Still very a very good looking show. show. Great actors on it. And uh, I guess we should say that me and Bob were also paid off by yeah. Big disenchantment they with... sent us uh, four bottles of mead yes yeah i haven't popped one open yet though, i haven't yet but, either uh, but uh, i'm gonna nice enjoy bottles. ones yeah i uh, so hey thanks um disenchantment pr team and uh, that mead company we're officially on the take yes yeah fi- about time <laughs> damn it. Uh, anyone wants to send us anything we're game yes yeah tell tell your bosses that we are purchasable <laughs> <laughs> so uh actually one other thing i noticed is that uh, disenchantment uh, so when Matt Groening shuttered Bongo Comics, he started a new comic line called Bapper Books. Mm. Nothing has come of that except for there has been a 2021 disenchantment calendar. Even though we both experienced this, Henry, it's been impossible to find the 2021 Simpsons calendar. Yeah, yeah. Let's and, uh, talk about that. What's going on with that? Because uh, I tried to get one when I came back. Like, oh, damn, I didn't order one. I want to find one. Amazon. Surely they have. No, it's all like ripoff artists saying Simpsons fun book. Oh. 
or whatever. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. But yeah, but then I look go online. I'm like, what? Where is it? Is is there even one this year? So like, what's happening? Uh, to my best knowledge, uh, there was one, and it had an extremely low print run, mm. and it was so. Uh, as longtime listeners know. A tradition in uh, in my family was every year since Christmas of 1990, my mom has gotten me the Simpsons calendar. It is a recurring gift, and this would have been the 30th year wow. of being gifted the Simpsons fun calendar. And uh, she tried to buy it. She ordered it from one place, and then it just never shipped. It didn't ship. And I looked into it. It's not nowhere I had to go to eBay. Bob, you do see I have one. It's but it's uh, British. It's British, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It And so that means, be, much like in the backwards world of Rand McNally, Monday is the start of their calendar on the printed page, not Sunday. I mean, that's how every week feels, and it should be that way, but I just don't <laughs> like to see it on a calendar. It feels wrong. It's like it's like putting the day before the month and writing it out. It's like, yes, that's ta- that does make more sense, but it feels unnatural to mine American eyes. But so I had to pay like for real $70 to get this, and now I haven't seen any more being sold on eBay even. Like, I think the the Simpsons calendar publishing is related to the Bongo stuff, and with Bongo yeah. having shut down, I think it gummed up the works in what the calendar production would have been like. To, as far as I can tell, the Bongo the drawings on the calendar are original for it; they're not reusing old yeah. ones. Yeah, uh, that's what Nina said. Actually, one of the pictures is from the cover of where one of her first stories was. Oh, well, yeah, then, okay, then definitely just uh, no new art is being made for these. Uh, and it's, uh, but yeah, it 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 sucks as a Simpsons fun calendar lover. It really makes me sad, and I think it is the sign that like graining isn't so involved in simpsons publishing deals now i don't know i uh when talking about it with my husband he he thinks that graining is this close to just lucasing out and going like here uh-huh. buy my stake in all of it disney i i'm i'm old and tired of dealing with it give me give me five billion dollars and you own my part of the simpsons i thought about maybe getting a disenchantment calendar but one disappointing thing about that is it looks like the calendar is just basically stills from the series because they're all like awkwardly cropped. It doesn't look like they were composed for a square image or just like very awkwardly cropped. And I'm sure if I went to the episodes and looked for the frame, I could find it. So, Uh, I mean, technically you could do that and clean up the frame, but just make original art, please. Yes, there's there's so many brilliant artists out there who can draw in that style and you just tell them like, okay, draw a funny picture for October. Like, there's so that's that is part of what I loved about Simpsons calendars. Like there were so many shitty calendars out there growing up that was that I knew was like, oh, this is just a, a poster uh, uh, from the Muppets that they put on a, a, a put on a calendar page. Or this is like the same old Garfield drawing. But the Simpsons made a new picture for every month mm. in, in my youth, and it and it continued into my adult years, and it it just really brings me down in a in, in an unexpected way that uh, in the days of the Simpsons calendar might be over. And I mean, the Simpsons fun calendar. I, I do feel like there will always be a Simpsons calendar to sell, but I do think the Simpsons fun calendar and its style 
is because Matt Groening likes that kind of goofy stuff. Yeah. And there was the From Hell fun calendar that preceded it that had all the same kind of like fun birthdays or silly uh, international holidays. Like that's the spirit of the Simpsons calendar. I would hate to see lost. Like if Disney would like to put me in charge of future uh-huh. Simpsons calendars, I can be the Dave Filoni of Simpsons calendar. Uh, I'll be your VP. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring back the calendar, but yeah, instead I bought it like a legend of Zelda calendar, which is just uh, a bunch of clip art, but I don't care. I yeah. want a calendar. <laughs> it's nice to see calendars. It was made me sad when I, when I uh, was taking care of your apartment several times last year it felt nice that i'd leave my apartment and see my calendar <laughs> and then i go to your place like hey the same calendar i still have it on december so i do look like a crazy person at this <laughs> point so i'm waiting for that zelda calendar to show up in the mail so our last news item is uh lots of people were uh kind of fr- frinky acting this on twitter but it is the joke from this little wiggy with jimbo is saying videotaping this crime spree is the best idea we ever had at the time it was referencing something recent that happened like within the past year or so of like teens or young adults like vandalizing things and videotaping it yeah, and, and then yeah. being very stupid. But now, because everything is posting, these people who stormed the Capitol, as soon as they got in, they're like, let's post, let's Instagram, let's uh, stream on Twitch, let's let's say our names and reveal our faces and yeah. uh, give lots of evidence for the government to use against us. Yeah, it's, it's funny that uh, in the case of Jimbo, the joke was about like, they're videotaping themselves seemingly for private consumption not to share with people but the the all the fuckers uh who were live streaming their invasion of congress be like i was watching several of them on a master stream of uh, a previous guest of the show jack allison when it was happening he's like okay pulled up like four different streams and the dudes on it were going like, and hey, be sure to follow me on here. If this gets shut down, I'll be on Periscope. My Twitter's this, blah, blah. I was like, wow, this, yeah. this is fucked up in a different way. They, I mean, I mean, obviously some people were there for violence and violence sure. was committed. But I think most of the people there were uh, fairly well-off people like business owners and real estate agents who, who flew to Washington, D.C. Yes. to get to get likes, to get follows. And don't, and don't forget like police chiefs or former yeah. police chiefs. Like, yeah, it's uh god yeah i mean that's definitely there were people there to do violence and like those that dude with the zip ties like yeah that yeah. guy that guy had malicious intent although ben shapiro says who doesn't just carry around zip ties with them wherever they yes, go yeah that was uh one oh. of the greatest replies ever was from uh, mike trucker on that but i i told him i'm proud to know you it was the great yes uh, look it up it's yeah. uh it's very vulgar but uh, definitely worth checking out i don't want to uh, conjure images in people's minds yeah ben shapiro <laughs> uh so in news for us yes. uh, personal news for me i am now a husband Woo! and yes i can put that in my twitter bio and you must respect me now i'm not a father and i won't be but <laughs> i deserve the respect the husband should get uh, uh, would christian go before husband though christian That's husband christian. <laughs> business owner <laughs> Uh, you choose the order. But yes, uh, I married a friend of the show. Now wife of me, Nina Matsumoto. You've heard her plenty of times. But yes, we're very happy. We're now separated. That sucks. But hopefully now that we're married, it'll be easier for me to enter Canada and see her again. Mm-hmm. And I, I got back like on the 6th of January. I've been back for a few weeks now. It was pretty insane that you, as you were getting on the plane, the storming was happening. Yeah. It, uh, and now, it, I mean, and you guys uh, had to go through so much quarantining and then reverse quarantining back in and, you know, Bob very responsibly got tested uh, during his requ- uh, quarantine back in, in California as well. Yeah, I quarantined uh, 14 days when I got to Canada. 
And then when I got back, I quarantined for 10 days and got a test. Yeah. Which is, the California rule is 10 yes. days, guys. Yeah. I didn't break any rules, uh, even though they're not being enforced. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Nina and I got married under a tent in the just pouring rain in Vancouver. So, yeah. I mean, we followed every protocol possible. You could not be mad at me. Yes. You yeah. should be happy for me. <laughs> we, we're all very happy. You, and you had such cute uh, cake and... The, the cake pops uh, in African gray style. Yes, Those uh, are adorable. They're based on my parrot. And I have my, uh, we both have wedding rings or wedding bands, and they say good waffles inside of them. That so. is adorable. A Simpsons reference in our uh, <laughs> rings. And Nina tried to figure it out, but uh, none of the writers on Twitter could figure out who actually wrote oh, yeah. the good waffles line. Man, there's, uh, I could have been Dave Richardson for all we know. Oh, possibly. Know? Yeah. Uh, people said it might be Jace Richdale, but we can't track him down. Yeah, we'll find we'll find out one of these days if we can ever get Dave Merkin uh, on a podcast. We he's he'd also be a good one to ask. <laughs> and related news to us, let's all congratulate Cat Bailey and uh, Nadia Oxford on their successful launch of the Acts of the Blood God Patreon. So, like us, they went uh, independent as independent podcasters, and they're doing very very well. If you enjoy video game podcasts. Uh, check it out and uh, Kat and Nadia have uh, we've we've crossed bread on so many podcasts so yes yeah you might be hearing us on one of their podcasts soon or have heard us on Acts of the Blood God but yeah I I felt uh, real bad for Kat and Nadia and everybody else at US Gamer that they yeah. lost their jobs like what bullshit like a yeah. total waste I will God. say cheers to Nadia and Kat and jeers to the management of US Gamer where I used to work and uh, it sucks that just every it, it's a story behind every website why does every website close it's the exact same story and it's so depressing that it's always the same it's just uh, so repetitive like yeah one uh, bump happens in e- economics there's like well we gotta slash everything slash everything why are we why are we paying writers what's going on but whatever yeah like it's it's sad how predictable it is that i'm just like kind of uh numb to it at this point it's like yeah this is the bloodletting i mean i'm sure in the next few months we're going to be hearing a lot more layoffs in the games press like fiscal year for whatever jobs are left to be cut there's going to be more cuts among i wasn't in the fiscal year layoff too and went up close so yeah yeah, yeah. i've I've lived through that pain so yes congrats to nadia and cat hopefully nothing but uh smooth sailing from here on out with the patreon and uh, as for us, we're hoping everyone out there is enjoying our alternating schedule of season two and season 12. I've heard no complaints. And mm-hmm. uh, I will say, like, I'm getting so much out of revisiting season two. Uh, the episodes are almost like four times longer than they used to be, sometimes five, because they only used to be 30 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, we now can do our hyper focus thing on it. We I mean, folks could hear just in our one with Casey Green, which what a cool dude, like just being able to take the time to read the news stories that came out in 1990 to promote it, to talk about the, uh, the Bart versus bill, like the ginned up controversy of it to, and also to just have a cool guest on who can talk to us about things. Mm-hmm. And, and we have so many great guests lined up already for, for seasons two and 12. We've recorded, I think like six already that are coming forward and, and we have, uh, and more great ones coming your way too. There are yeah. so many stars you'll say, is that the night sky or is that talking? Simpsons. I can't tell. Uh, and that's all through 2021 and into 2022 will be seasons two and 12. And in even more good news for us, uh, we hit our $15,000 goal, which means Talking Futurama is now a monthly podcast and it will, uh, you know, exist in- unless we fall under a certain threshold. But yes, we're going to be releasing a Talking Futurama at the end of the month and hopefully at the end of every month after that until the end of time or if we run out of episodes. Yeah. But we have nine years before that happens. 
episodes. Yes, yeah, it's going to be basically twelve. If, if it's twelve episodes a year, we got a long way to go. But it's it's pretty great that we we just finished season two, and I'm used to like being like, well, time to stop thinking about Futurama for a year. And instead, it's like, no, season three coming right now. And and Amazon Women in the Mood is yes. such a funny horny episode yeah. with B. Arthur. Oh God, she's great. I just rewatched it. We we haven't recorded it yet, but uh, you'll hear it next Friday. If if you are a Patreon subscriber. Yes, and if not, uh, check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Sign up there. You'll get all the ones we've done so far, and you'll start getting the new ones at the end of this month. And or you already have gotten the new one if you're on the free feed. Oh, yes, yeah. And, uh, and also a cool thing about us starting up Talking Futurama as a monthly show is that it frees up all of the other miniseries. Futurama now, as long as this continues can never be a miniseries uh poll result again so it's uh, it opens up the field a lot more i like that and as for our next miniseries that was uh, unlocked as talk king of the hill season two part one so the first 11 episodes of king of the hill season two will be covering those and it'll start with how to fire a rifle without really trying on march 26th and every friday after that until like the beginning of june yeah it's uh, i'm also really looking forward to that one it's the uh, the comedy of how to fire a rifle that I just rewatched I was like boy this only hurts more now or it's only realer now I can't wait and because I was quarantining I was doing so much busy work so to date I have gotten all the art for this I've made all the cover art I've pre-posted all the podcasts and I've ripped all the audio for all of this wow. and basically wrote the outline for all of my notes so I'm so ready to start talking about King of the Hill I'm so excited for this new miniseries it's fun it's fun to see on the Patreon backend podcast going all the way in, into May mm. as we're still in the basically the middle of january yes. working very far far ahead so uh up next is the what a cartoon february schedule and i'll go over that right now so first up is digimon adventure the 1999 short film uh, a very visually expressive film that is almost like the peak of digimon yeah yeah the it starts at a high and goes down from there but this uh yes if you if you are a younger millennial or or zoomer who remember seeing the Digimon the movie in theaters? This is the first 20 minutes of that movie, but the much better unlocalized uh, version of it out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, oh, sorry. And the next week is the Venture Brothers two-part episode, What Color Is Your Clean Suit? A very long episode of What a Cartoon, almost a What a Cartoon movie. This is sort yeah. of a Venture <laughs> Brothers movie. Yeah, that was a ton of fun to do too. It was great to return to the Venture Brothers, uh, even though uh, we were also sad that it was officially canceled and uh, i thought in the time in between recordings there'd be news that of more something more coming but uh, nothing's come out yet. somebody needs to feed doc hammer he looks yeah. he's looking very skinny <laughs> he's, uh, he's a gaunt man and after that is the tailspin episode vowel play yes we're going to the disney afternoon again for one of the few series from that block we haven't covered tailspin was the first Disney afternoon show. We had a lot of fun talking about that. I can't wait for you guys to hear that. Oh, yeah. Tailspin. And you'll learn all about uh, the, when the Jungle Books meets Cheers. <laughs> it's a fun series that all kids enjoyed, uh, except for when Tiny Toons was on. Mm. And the last uh, thing we'll be doing that month of February is Whisper of the Heart, the classic Ghibli movie. So if you're on the $5 feed or the free feed, you'll hear the extended preview. If you're on the $10 feed on patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, you get the whole thing at the end of the month. And yes, I actually Actually, I have no idea what this movie's about. I haven't watched it yet. I'm very excited wow. to get into it. I know you've been working way ahead on research for this one, Henry, buying several books. I did indeed buy books. I actually, I, I went uh, above and beyond on this one, but it is because Whisper of the Heart is 
Uh, one of my all-time favorite films. I think it's top three Studio Ghibli films for me. I just love it so much. I sing. If you've already seen it, you know how important the song Country Roads is to it. Mm. And one of my karaoke favorites is the Japanese version of Country Roads because it's just such a great moment in the film. But yes, I, uh, I actually... <laughs> I paid friend of the show, Maddie Cop, to translate an interview for me oh. because I couldn't find anywhere where the in English an interview with the late director Yoshifumi Kondo. Like I couldn't it was it was incredibly frustrating to be honest. So our our friend Maddie Cop, who is uh, you know, fluent in Japanese, she translated an interview for me and uh, you guys will get to hear an exclusive Ooh. on that podcast i can't uh, wait for that there's a, there's a couple very funny stories in there that made me go like man i'm glad i paid for this and up next is the what a cartoon movie march poll for the month of march and in that month we'll be covering uh disney tv movies so movies that screen in theaters based on disney television shows so uh those are doug's first movie DuckTales the movie, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, Recess School's Out, and the Teacher's Pet movie most of you probably didn't even know existed. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, a lot. I mean, it got kind of buried in uh, <laughs> by a bunch of other movies that year. But I, yeah, I mean, they all sound great. Obviously, DuckTales the movie I think might have an advantage with our audience. But hey, prove me wrong, kids. I'd like prove to learn more wrong. about Recess. I enjoyed it when I was like 15. Chuck Sheets directed it. Like, oh, it's a wow. Chuck Sheets directed film. Like that's that's impressive to me. They yeah. were like uh, Doug and Recess and Teacher's Pet oddly made it to movie theaters, and it always seems strange to me. Yeah, but, I, can't, uh, I can't believe Doug got a first movie that actually was in a movie theater. I can't believe like, I've never uh, seen it. <laughs> I know the nematode is an important uh, story point to it, but also it's like if we do that one, I'm going to have to watch some brand spanking new Doug oh. to get uh, ready for that. I'm sure well. it's fine. Yeah. I'm sure it's fine. If, but it do, it just doesn't sound right without billy west in it but they didn't want to uh, pay for him and said they paid way more to replace him yeah but then but then again ducktales uh we are used to watching uh ducktales as drawn by japanese artists Ooh, yeah that's not treasure of the lost lamb that's true it's going to look a lot different than what we're used to but yes uh please check out that poll when it goes live and that's what we'll be talking about for what a cartoon movie for the month of march and up next is our little section we talk about what we've been playing and watching outside of podcasting and uh, honestly, for me, not been playing a whole lot uh, because I've been just sort of busy doing lots of other things and catching up with work since coming back from Canada. I just picked up uh, Yaksa Like a Dragon again because basically everything I was playing at home I had to put down for like three weeks to a month to go to Canada. So <laughs> I'm kind of picking up where I left off. So jump back into Yaksa and uh, currently for an episode of Retronauts and for my own you know enjoyment, I'm playing through the remasters of Telltale's first Sam and Max season. So that was recently released and they are very very good remasters they did a lot of work to make them look much better than they used to and to make them more user friendly and i'll be talking with the creators of those Ooh. on retronauts in the future so yeah i really recommend checking out that uh collection if you've never played that even if you have it's been 15 years it's been 15 years <laughs> since they brought back sam and max i can't believe it's been that long it was it was less than 10 years between hit the road and that and the telltale game yeah yeah actually no uh, it, was th it was 13 so okay. we're now we're now like officially uh these games older than that game was then oh god man time sucks it makes fools of us all it does 
so yeah, I'm just looking forward to tackling my backlog. I have I have no, nothing but free time on my hands outside of work, so that's why I was able to finish 35 games last year. I I look forward to more of your like a dragon thoughts. It it was my runner up game of the year last year, and. I was annoyed at how few game of the year lists I saw it on, but I, I really think it is like it's really it, good. Editors only have so much time, and I think a lot of employees at game websites don't have ninety hours to yeah. put into Like a Dragon. And to let you know how far I am into the game, I played thirty-two hours or thirty-three. I only just made it to the tutorial of the business management mode. Whoa! So I've man. literally been doing everything I can except for the story, just for fun. Like, how many things can I do before they force me into the next thing? I I literally put 15 hours into that business management mode alone and I loved it. I, I felt I, I failed Karl Marx how much I enjoyed that business mode, but it really teaches you how to lay people off, <laughs> uh, how to lay people off, how to be a heartless business owner and that eventually it just becomes passive income and, it, and you become too big to fail. And it's just like, oh, do I need another 3 million yen? I'll just do some of this. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I got money. It's very instructive. Uh, so as for watching stuff, uh, I haven't been watching that much, actually. So Nina and I finished Doro Hedoro on Netflix. I really recommend it. You might not know what it's about until the very end, but it all comes together in a very cool way. I did really enjoy that. Uh, started on Disenchantment, and uh, Nina and I are about to pick up where we left off watching the Slayer's Next anime series. Mm. Uh, so we're watching some old school stuff, and we're going to pick back up with that. And I'm also in a very Slayer's mood, so I'm rereading the novels. Wow. Those have been re-released with a new localization, so That's those are cool. worth checking out. It's so many. It's the it's the novels that are very low on the English localization totem pole for uh, it, Japanese stuff. I, I mean, also, they probably sell like shit compared to a comic. And they're yeah way harder to they, do and that's why they're really cheap on kindles so mm -hmm. if you're interested in slayers the series the uh the source material it's almost identical to the anime but it's still fun to read to see where it came from uh, that's cool I, I might check that out and i'm very stupid and i sign up for every <laughs> i sign up for every streaming service but i literally only watch youtube I, I should just cancel everything i probably would if i didn't have the podcast but on youtube so what happened was when i was in canada about to leave uh, awesome games done quick started and it lasted until uh, a few days after i came back so i've been catching up with all of those speed runs watching a ton of those and also watching the youtube channel summoning salt and uh, this guy produces these super in-depth and very watchable documentaries about the fight for world records in different video games Ooh. and they are so well edited and so just instructive in how these things are made and done that they are even fun to watch even if you're not familiar with the game itself so oh, summoning salt cool. is the youtube channel and that's basically it have not been doing a lot of uh, watching and playing but just a little bit uh man i uh my gaming has been interesting the last month uh in in addition to my normal just uh five days a week workout gaming of either doing just dance or ring fit uh which i i didn't fall off the wagon exercise wise during the holidays i still did my daily hour long walk and uh did this but i did fall off the wagon diet wise i was just like ah, it's the holidays i'll eat garbage <laughs> well I, I literally couldn't move i was stuck in a tiny apartment so i did too yeah and uh you guys earned it you guys but, i uh, think i did uh but now now i'm back on the wagon so doing that but i also am still a souls guy now Ooh. and uh, i've made a lot of progress in dark souls original where are you in dark souls uh so i 
beat and Orlando. Okay, cool. I, be, I finished that, and uh, now I'm doing the pre. Honestly, the last time I played, I did like six hours of grinding just to be a higher level to go to the next. Uh, oh no, wait, no, not just that. I fought the wolf, dude. I beat the wolf. Oh, uh, Sif. Yeah, yeah, Sif. I beat I beat Sif. So I'm now doing the next thing after the woods. That's that's what I'm doing, and wow. I've been grinding to. So man, I'm so into souls. I think I'm going to go straight to Bloodborne and maybe do Dark Souls in the future. Because if Dark Souls goes on sale on, like, uh, honestly, Xbox, it's where I'm playing it because I want those achievements. I'll probably play that. But uh, next up is Bloodborne. You I should think, play Bloodborne me. and then Dark Souls 2. And then Dark Souls 3, maybe after that. And then by the time I finish them all, maybe Elden Ring will be out. But, uh, we have uh, not seen hide nor hair of that game. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Uh, and also, I've been playing a ton of pac-man championship edition demastered i i showed you it bob it is buried in a it like you have to know to find it yeah it was not really advertised at least not uh very openly advertised it should be sold on its own but instead it's part of the namco museum archives volume one which is a collection of nes ports of namco games and the reskinning of it is amazing i played so much of it it gets me in the same way the 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 bug of pac-man championship edition did and i have to thank games journalist and video essayist tim rogers for that he suggests it in another thing i've been addicted to this year this last month his video essays on the action button channel uh it's what tim rogers he used to work at kotaku and he's a long time worker in the games industry he's now uh been doing this for the last year i watched his one on pac-man which was was really great but my favorite one was his six hour long one on tokimeki memorial mm -hmm. a series i know as a name of a popular thing but i never really understood and when i watched it, i was like holy shit this influenced so many video games it's uh, you learn so much from it if you i uh, definitely you should check out the action button on tokimeki memorial you will learn a ton about japanese video games i'm looking forward to watching that uh that series is very important all i know about it is the castlevania guy igarashi wrote the game right. that's all i know about yeah, it yeah it's where he can kind of start god it's i mean every dating sim it basically took dating sims out of the porn ghetto and made it mainstream uh also another youtube channel i've gotten into is we actually talked about it on several other podcasts gainax founder toshio okada the main character uh, an inspiration for the ota king of otaku no video he has his own youtube channel that he's had for years but only in Japanese, where he takes you through classic anime, mostly Ghibli productions or Ghibli-related ones. But he started English dubbing them officially and putting them on his channel. And I have learned so much because Okada, he not only you know worked in the industry in the 80s up to now and knows people and can tell you those inside stories, but also he constantly goes... For example, on Grave of the Fireflies, in his talk about that, when he gets to some bit of trivia, he's like, oh, here, let me pull this down. And he pulls a book off the shelf, a, like, just book written by Takahata about 
filmmaking that's never been translated uh. officially in the English. And he's like, so in this book, he says this. I'm like, I am learning so much just because he can read this stuff that I can't and that hasn't been translated. It's it's so informative. I've learned a ton. Uh, both good. He really loves Miyazaki's work, but he also knows Miyazaki is a dick. <laughs> and it goes like, is that funny that Miyazaki's such a jerk about stuff? Like, it's uh, they're really great. Ch- I check did sub to that channel. Oh, one thing I forgot is that uh, I played the demo for Monster Hunter Rise on Switch. Mm-hmm. And really, really good. And I already pre-ordered the game, so <laughs> okay. uh, I'll see you on uh, March 26th. So Monster Hunter Rise and Talking of the Hill both come out on March 26th. Oh man, listen to it while playing Rise. That's a good idea. And if you join the Patreon, we now have a games channel in our Discord, so you can get oh, into fun Monster cool. Hunter groups now with uh, that games channel. I got to get active in there. I'm not. I, I We're all talking about listeners. you, Henry. I'm uh, going to delete all the messages. Oh no! Uh, one last bit of stuff I watched was uh, Comedy Bang Bang and Birthday Boys. Uh, oh. I hadn't rewatched them in a long time. My husband had never seen them before, so we rewatched them all, and they they are still pretty great. I bought the Birthday Boys DVDs from the Birthday Boys wow. at a live show. Oh, that's great. And I don't even know if they were made professionally or anything like that. I've never seen them at like a store or online or anything, but uh, I bought them seasons one and two from the birthday boys themselves. I I think I paid Mike Hanford. I think the first season was on an official DVD because I did have that. But the second season, I don't know. I think that it might just be a a birthday boys custom release. But yeah, it was so funny to watch and just uh and also i've watched a ton of stuff related to whisper of the heart because i wanted to learn about uh yoshifumi kondo's uh career that i hadn't seen including boy i learned about a couple things but one interesting thing is he did character designs for a little women Hmm. anime that is just on Amazon Prime dubbed. And I'm like, how does, where does this exist? How does this happen? It's an old anime? It's from 87. You know, Amazon Prime has some weird little gems that are just hidden there that I I just, you know, like um, you said you were watching that 80s anime series with the the sextuplets. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's on Amazon? That is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, from, uh, I believe that one is by the discotheque guys. Yeah. uh, It's, I think it is that there's, they can get streaming rights to some stuff they can't put on a disc that Japan, it seems like some licensors in Japan are like, eh, whatever, put it on a streaming thing. We don't care, but don't you dare sell a Blu-ray that could undercut our Japanese <laughs> Blu-ray. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's all on there and it's as it's something really interesting in all those old world masterpiece animes that they have to be 50 episodes. So everyone, if you're used to, english language novels that get truncated into a two-hour movie this is the exact opposite that that make a 400 page book last 40 episodes and it's so long when i i just watched the first and last episode of it and little women has a shippuden style time jump oh and it ends at the time jump and i was like you went 40 episodes for half of the book that's crazy are there like multiple beach episodes I, there must there must be I think. that's nuts yeah. uh yeah those those enemies were very slow paced but uh still probably very good yeah but anyway yoshi i i've learned so much about the late yoshi fumi kondo i i can't wait to to talk about that on the whisper of the heart podcast so up next we have questions and comments for talking simpsons first 
first. And because we recorded the, the last one so late and this one so early, we are only going to cover Bart Gets an F, so we'll cover the rest of them uh, in our next episode because the, our most recent one just came out yesterday, and we want to wait to get more comments on that before we read them on the air. Yeah, definitely I think you guys enjoyed the the Iron Giant podcast, but uh, there there weren't many like new comments about like, oh, I learned this or whatever. But people got uh, they signed up because of that, so thank you. Yes, you, oh, uh, so many new signups. Thank you so much, all of you. So our first comment for Bart Gets an F is from Joe Hodgson, who says, you guys nailed it with your observation that this was the right episode for season two to premiere with. I remember being really excited for this episode when it premiered and being a kid, getting a Bart episode right off the bat was exactly what I wanted. It's a very kid-centric episode as a lot of what Bart was going through was really relatable, even for a kid like me who had an easy time with school. Faking illness, daydreaming, procrastinating, and even snow days all made it into this one, making it feel a little slice of 90s juvenile existence. And yes, I totally agree with you. I mean, even though I was good at school, I still had anxiety about school. And you can see um, Bart Bart experiencing a lot of that. Yeah, in his life yeah i the everything about it feels just so realistic to a kid and if you have spent the whole summer thinking of the show as the bart show this is it's sort of like how tiny tunes could package together like plucky duck episodes and pretend it is the plucky duck show this you start with a bart episode and not say uh, uh, it's funny that it follow following it is a father dealing with ba- baldness, baldness and uh, working in a in a business or Mr. Burns running for uh, yeah, mayor yeah so, uh, or tree, governor whatever it was Treehouse is when it finally gets back to the the kids again but yeah most watch episode of all time C- pretty crazy and uh, uh, also on that episode some bloke says. As a research mathematician, I feel obligated to push back slightly on Bob's comments that proofs are useless. They're very useful as a form of argument when mathematical ideas aren't obvious and we need to convince ourselves and our colleagues that they are sound. The version presented in high school geometry totally loses this context, probably because it's streamlined version of material that is thousands of years old and serious objections these days are to the rules themselves rather than the arguments. Admittedly, I'm a little biased because I hated high school geometry, <laughs> which just goes to show how much any of that matters in the long run. That's true. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I replied to this comment. And I was doing a bit. I understand the stuff is important, but it was just not important to a 15 year old it was not taught very well yeah yeah i uh it's it sounds like he also had the same pain of I, that i had of like i did so good in algebra up to geometry and when i got to geometry i was like this is just i'm hitting a brick wall yeah. just that uh but clearly he burrowed through that brick wall and made it into being a uh, research mathematician so congratulations on that i'm but, glad yeah. i spent so much time in school learning state capitals for some reason i'm still not clear why <laughs> uh, i guess uh, that'll kill an hour it wins bar trivia now and yeah then. or you can or you can be a pedant on the internet with it so hitler it, north dakota uh, hitler <laughs> so uh kiefer Folsom says i relate to bart so fucking hard in this episode growing up i was never a child to start a fight talk back etc when i kept getting in trouble at school our counselor recommended sending me to a child psychologist and I was diagnosed with ADHD while also having my IQ determined. I was a quote-unquote gifted child and put into the gifted and talented students program which because our school was literally in small town nowhere Oklahoma usually meant field trips to places (laughs) and while I enjoyed going to school all throughout middle and high school I always struggled with my grades usually teetering on a B minus to D average including repeating one uh, math class. Also those field trips would take place with the gifted program. You could go if your grades were above failing so naturally i missed out on half of them 
And uh, the scene of Bart crying just barely squeezing by happened to me so often. In fact, my senior year, my final grade in math class was a 59.98, and he rounded up. So yeah, that's why I love this episode and why it matters so much to me. Yeah, the emotions on Bart in that moment are so raw, and I and Silverman uh, is right to be proud on the commentary for pulling something off there with Bart because it is like this is a silly comedy show and and getting that much raw emotion you'd never do it on a normal episode these days like when whenever they try to reach for it like with uh, even in the movie of marge breaking up with homer like even that they had to basically torture julie kavner to get to it but they, they yeah. could get much more to this raw emotion in these early days like just the the way bark goes like it's oh, the best that i could do i'm a failure like that that's how it can feel if you're a, a child who has any trouble in school which is just like for for most children but i i do think it especially speaks to uh folks with adhd or other issues yeah. like that too just these this general like i can't understand this at why is it so easy for everybody else feeling they weren't really exploring that in this episode it was more about the character but i would have liked to see more about why how the school is failing this child and like why like i said in the episode why does bart need to know about treasure island like bart, why does bart need to know about american history right now like why is this determining his path in life i think merkin was more into questioning the sim yeah. uh, systems than uh than this episode was yeah so up next we have what a cartoon and our first one was ducktales the town where everyone was nice and uh are you next on this one Henry? oh yeah here yeah. i'll go next we got jacob reed he says the last time i think i had really seen the characters of jose and panchito was on the house of mouse in fact i believe the first appearance of jose and panchito on house of mouse was in an episode that also revolves around donald having an identity crisis primarily because no one remembered that he was a caballero to begin with however the house of mouse episode Episode, doesn't have near as much character growth and doesn't have the three caballeros song either instead replacing it with their own song about the birds set to the tune of la bamba that being said i shouldn't expect too much from a show that was essentially a framing device for mickey mouse work shorts <laughs> i just found it interesting that the last official caballeros appearance i could think of also involved donald lying about himself to appear successful to his friends yeah i i saw lots of people actually bring up that yeah. the there is the other legend of the three caballeros show that was being produced at the same time as ducktales i i saw a friend of the show and duck expert uh thad Komarowski say that he had he personally thinks that the three caballeros show got buried a little bit so it wouldn't overshadow uh the ducktales series in 2017 but that show is good i've, yeah, I've yeah. watched a few a couple episodes of it i've heard really good things especially when it wasn't being shown here yes like oh yeah. there's this great disney show that they won't show you i feel like they should just present them together our kids can understand there's more than one donald <laughs> out there but it'll uh, confuse and alarm yeah. them so up next uh dan vincent says uh, this is about the voice of uh the scrooge that we grew up with alan young is legitimately scottish his parents were scottish he lived in edinburgh and they moved to canada when he was six if anything i remember david Tennant's casting making a lot of people go wait a minute he's not scottish only for them to learn they were wrong because they only knew him from suppressing his accent on doctor who young suppressed his accent a lot too he talked about it in interviews over the years though he was playing it up as scrooge mcduck his natural speaking voice in interviews is fairly scottish that's nice i feel like that's that's funny in the in the 50s in america he's like well they can't know i'm actually a scotsman that there's still uh, uh, there's still hired. scottish racism <laughs> happening probably uh i i mean in england that 
Uh, I didn't know, uh, obviously, people in the UK know this very well, but I, I didn't know there was such uh, antipathy towards the Scotch people at times uh, until I watched an episode of uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which was about, like, in the 80s, he did a very a super racist episode to Scotch characters. That's the joke of the episode. Mm. But uh, but anyway, yeah, that's uh, it's funny to know. I, I always just considered Alan Young was just an American guy. Did I, not know that. I have to recommend Pop Arena's uh, YouTube video about Mr. Ed because oh, I yeah. I have not watched Mr. Ed in 30 years and I forgot it's about a man who hates his wife. I yes, he yeah. hates her. Uh, man, Paparina, who we've had on the podcast, and uh, his videos are so great. I love all the knickknacks ones. The the one he did on Inspector Gadget, like I mm-hmm. I learned stuff I never knew. D- did you know about that space loop on the no. loop on the eighth? I had no. never heard of that before. I'm embarrassed. I didn't know that but. poor soul. He had to watch so much Inspector Gadget, which is fine. But what depressed me about the show as a child was how formulaic it was, totally and crazy. that that poor soul had to sit down and watch all of it. Yeah, I, he really when he pointed out on that video of just like. This is why you probably hated Inspector Gadget, because if you watch it in a giant block on Nickelodeon, you see, and it did really bug me just watching, and I'm sure we'll do an Inspector Gadget in the future. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, But watching it again, I'm like, Inspector Gadget is an asshole who's bad at his job and isn't even that nice to his family. Like, and uh, don't he, but, but he could also show like, oh yeah, TMS actually drew this really well. Some great animation in that series. Uh, So up next we have, uh, this is you, Henry, sorry. Yes, yeah. We got Flintstones, the Great Gazoo episode, and uh, Thad Komarowski, who was uh, very nice, told me that we did a really good job on yes. it. He, he does have to say, uh, he says, being my pedantic self, Huckhound was not based on Andy Griffith. He was a ripoff of Tex Avery's casting of Dawes Butler as the Southern Wolf in the Droopy cartoons, and then as Smedley in the Chilly Willy series. It's down to a fabrication in that speech of the day the violence died that we all love, but Griffith wasn't on Avery or any other guy's mind when they had Dawes Butler do that voice. So, yes, I am repeating, whenever I've said that, I am repeating a joke from the day the violence died uh, of the speech that Roger Myers Jr. gives. But, yeah. And the timeline checks out for that, too, because uh, Huckleberry Hound debuted in 1958 and the Andy Griffith show debuted in 1960. Of course, Andy Griffith was doing things before then but that was when he was popular all across america i will say it probably helped huckleberry hound that he seemed a lot like andy griffith yeah another yeah. popular character uh but what a character <laughs> but i do appreciate that that you you point out that it's as simple as hannah barbera heard dawes butler doing a southern voice in old droopy cartoons and they're like could you just do that for huck too who cares you know uh yeah no that that had many supportive things to say about that uh flintstones episode i think he was concerned we'd just be too like ah this is dumb old shit like Uh yeah we, we were half between dumb old shit and half between like, uh, oh, yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah. I like these voices. Stuff. Oh, God, the voice. I love that voice. The Fred's voice, one of the greatest voices ever. So Kaiser Beam says about the Flintstones, uh, I had a thought while listening to this episode. In the late 50s to early 60s, there appeared to be a miniature boom of prehistoric and caveman media. One of the big musical hits of 1960 was the Hollywood Argyle's Alley Oop, a song about another lesser-known cartoon caveman of the same name. In 1961, Disney had their famous public film Donald and the Wheel, where Donald was portrayed as a cave duck. And let's forget the realm of B-movies with films like Teenage Caveman and Uh, Ega. Ega. 
Uh, you guys are disgusting, but I love it. Stemlo. <laughs> uh, so I guess the reason why the Flintstones did well so right out of the gate was not just the novelty of being the first primetime cartoon, but also because cavemen were a hot pop cultural commodity in those days. And I have a clip of the alley-oop song. We can turn it off when it gets too excruciating, but it is so, <laughs> so low tempo, and I don't know why this was a hit. There's a man in the funny papers we all know. He lives way back a long time ago. He don't eat nothing but a bear cat stew. <laughs> well, this cat's name is a uh, Ali Okay, we can turn it off. Right, there's enough, there's no yeah. like fast part. I was like, when's the fast part? When's the chorus? But it's just like, no, these these reefer addicts are singing this song about a caveman. And yes, in the funny papers we all know, I've never read Alley Oop in my no, life. No, I, uh, I do I do remember hearing that song occasionally on the the oldie stations yeah. I listened to as a kid. Though I never knew the name of it. But like I as a kid, I did like Alley Oop Oop. Listening to it closely, it just is like a description of a comic strip. Like that's a, all it is. A very slow and labored one. And I looked it up because this comic started in 1932. Of course, it's still running every day. I, this, well, I'm glad you put that because I actually had read a few comics of the modern ones because. Oh really? Uh, just like the Nancy comics that got you know a hip new team to work on it, and the it doesn't go as viral, but. Uh, that the current Alley Oop comics they are drawn by Joey Allison Sayer and uh, hmm. she is a great cartoonist she's uh, such a funny person on uh, you should check her out on Twitter she's she's done lots of funny comics but uh, and also she is kind of our neighbor I think she lives within oh. a mile of us we can but, find original uh, Alley Oop artwork in her garbage uh, can but it's funny that uh, that she you know when they were rebooting I just remember laughing like Alley Oop was yeah, actually in a uh you know our friends uh, on podcast the ride they did a whole dick tracy one about dick tracy on the moon and all that and how like the creator hated rockets yes yeah i, I think in the alley-oop before sayer uh, took over that they had gotten into like it's alley-oop in the future and it's like a very long and convoluted bullshit and then it was just back to basics when uh, when they rebooted it but yes i unbelievably alley-oop still continues you know i don't say alley-oop enough but i guess i'm not throwing or shoving enough things in my life <laughs> alley-oop whenever you hop over something it just if you have to like take a step over a puddle or something to say alley-oop when COVID is over i'll be alley-ooping all over the place <laughs> uh so up next we have the amphibia episodes cane crazy and flood sweat and tears and henry you're up next for this comment duck meat by the way is our patron who uh suggested this episode so thank you to duck meat. yes thank you duck meat uh they say according to a reddit ama matt braley the creator of amphibia did four months ago Disney studio leadership initially imposed a lyrical version of the Amphibia theme song, which I'll post a YouTube link to at the end of this message. However, Matt didn't want the lyrics over the opening because, as he explains it, quote, I don't dislike the song in isolation, but I don't think it fits the show or the lead character. Like, who is this sweet voice singing? Certainly not Anne, our rough and tumble lead. For a few months during the production, the lyrical version became their theme song, which Matt said gave him a lot of anxiety to the point where he couldn't even attend internal amphibious screenings. But unfortunately, in the end, he was able to find his voice and confront studio leadership until they let him use the instrument 
instrumental version for his show. Mm. So there you have it. I didn't know that about the show. Yeah, I, I'm glad it's just the instrumental one. It's it's fun. I like the, uh, it's, it just feels, dun, 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 dun. like it feels like a silly but action-y show, which the, the action seems to ramp up as the show goes on. It reminds me of Gravity Falls. So, I mean, it's directly inspired by a lot of the people yeah. who worked on that show. There, I mean, there's an episode that just, is gravity falls that's right too. i haven't gotten there yet yeah I've, I've only seen clips of it out there but yeah i, I i'm glad you know gravity falls got to just became an action show in the end mm. so i'm glad they they're doing if that is natural for amphibia that's the direction they're going in. I, I have one related thought that i didn't put into our dexter's lab ego trip uh, podcast in that i hate the dexter's lab theme with lyrics that plays over the credits oh yeah it sounds like it was written for a commercial for the show and they were it was just forced upon them in dexter's lab it's awful it makes me it always made me want to go like i gotta sit through this to see the next episode of dexter if there's not a good cartoon on after this i'm changing the channel because i i just hate see i feel like it was right that they shoved it to the side yeah. and sped it up sometimes i uh yeah unfortunately i had to put that in the podcast because there's not a lot of dexter songs to use yeah I know. and you heard that one a lot if you watch it on tv i it was the same pain i felt of uh oh there's like no music out there for um korgoth the barbarian yeah that was also a really hard one to find any music for when i did the mighty max cartoon i just used songs from the video game ah that's always useful when there's a video game one yeah (laughs) so uh justin brown talking about amphibia says i'm glad y'all addressed the controversy in a very direct manner it feels like the art industry has gone through the hardest reckoning in the hashtag me too era because so much of a modern artist presence is online and it's a relatively localized industry john k was already an outsider when the news of his grooming broke but dan schneider was nickelodeon's cash cow when he was finally ousted in 2018 and chris savino struck gold with loud house and touched so many cartoons over 20 years before his allegations forced him out i do believe there's a troll effort that fans the flames like julia vickerman of the malign powerpuff girls reboot and netflix's 12 forever had a 10 year old post log up that insinuated she was stalking a teenager at a carnival and whether or not it was a joke can anyone say it's a good look for representative of their brand i don't know where the silver lining is or if the next generation of online people are just savvier about what they post publicly but i do think the community has gotten better at communication the controversy surrounding Amphibia and She-Ra were stamped out within a day with the loudest voices setting the record straight. And as community-driven as the online art community is, that kind of organization is what's needed to address actual trolls and misinformation. Yeah, that, uh, that sums it up pretty well. I I had missed the 12 Forever thing that happened with, uh, with Julie Vickerman. Uh, it's, but yeah, I do. I, I think you see these, you do see abusers like Chris Savino, Dan Schneider, John Kay mentioned that finally, like, we're long overdue and... I hope that that leads to, you know, a new era of vigilance and making sure, you know, bad people don't get especially big positions of power. But yeah, sometimes there you you also need to be careful and be sure you're not like, you know, attacking someone just for a bit of art that could be taken the wrong way when it was not the intention. And that's that's it. Or like, you know? I mean, I, I don't know what posts are talking about, but I feel like the Internet has changed so much where 10 years ago the Internet was like, I'm going to type the dirtiest joke I can think of into Twitter and I'm going to be super dark confessional about myself on my blog that is just what the internet was because we thought no one was reading it then yeah i uh well i mean we all saw what happened to bean dad i know we forgot yeah. about bean dad after one day oh my god i really i honestly did i mean it was january 5th and then january 6th was the invasion of congress and that made everyone forget about bean dad but yeah i mean part of the bean dad thing was finding old tweets of him just saying like 
ugly ass shit that i'm like what the fuck is your deal but anyway that, that's beside the point yeah but uh yeah i'm glad people thought we handled it well it was a tricky subject to talk about and people in our discord uh were talking about it as well and they came to some similar conclusions and i think it was a good discussion all around and finally uh we have the end of evangelion and henry uh, what does Derek williams say about this Derek williams says my read on the final scene is that asuka and shinji are being honest with each other for the first time Essentially, she's always treated him with cruelty, and he's always responded passively. But having just exited instrumentality, Shinji releases his suppressed aggression, and in response, Asuka shows that she actually cares about him, but still finds him disgusting, which causes him to stop. I think the point is for two people who exit instrumentality to demonstrate how humanity can move forward, understanding one another better by being honest about their feelings, as difficult and ugly as it is. And uh, yeah, I, I like that reading yeah. on it. Yeah, it it explains why like Shinji's tears hitting her face and her her responding for the first time ever in with with kindness or touching his face. Like I get that, but uh, and I mean the pent up aggression is him strangling her at the start of come susur todd too but yeah i mean it is it is difficult and ugly that yeah. is that is how uh dealing with emotions can be sometimes what a way to end a movie and i guess in related news they just delayed that fourth movie right well, days before it was yeah. gonna be in theaters like yeah i mean japan is in a bad way right now covid wise by by their standards they are not as bad off as america from my understanding but it's getting worse yeah but, those olympics <laughs> aren't, aren't happening or they're, they, they're not gonna happen or they are happening there's no audience and the yeah. only people who get flown in are the are the athletes but yeah i mean the the i know about it just from the angle of being a fan of the japanese wrestling organization new japan and they tried to have business as usual with their new year's shows and uh they had to cap their tickets at 5000 people and their shows are getting uh all these new rules on them as they are trying to do performances in front of audiences and there's just it's almost impossible it's like they're fighting against the wind or the, yeah the why bother here. yeah well you know business don't stop yeah. unfortunately i guess no one's sending us stimulus checks regularly nope. uh, i don't know what the stimulus is or isn't in japan compared to yeah. i know in canada they were sending folks money weren't they they were yeah yeah I, I forget what japan was doing but it's, it has to be better than what we're, what's happening here but uh, yes. uh uh, finally, Jesse Betteridge says, uh, regarding the alternate version of the end of Evangelion that Henry mentioned, not only was the first version of the film released on home video in Japan slightly different from what was shown in theaters, it was actually split across two separate VHS tapes. One volume included the theatrical edition of episode 25 and the original television version of episode 25, and another volume included the theatrical edition of episode 26 and the original television version of episode 26, which means that in Japan, fans originally had to double dip if they wanted to own the whole thing on VHS or show up for a fancy box set this is bob man what a ripoff inset yeah they they got when they got you by the short hairs uh with buy an anime they're like no you have to buy this these two separate things instead of his one film it's, it was bad enough that it was released twice with like you know a chunk of the movie and then the rest of the movie in the second release and i i bet you those tapes weren't twenty dollars oh no uh, or the equivalent you know so jesse goes on to say in addition to muting asuka's line this version slightly modifies the film to feel more like separate episodes 
theatrical episode 25 even ends with the original next episode preview for the second half of the movie and i think yeah. i think he goes on to say uh, i think jesse goes on to say that uh hopefully the blue the blu-ray will retain these editions but they're not sure if it will or not yeah the uh you know the next episode thing for 25 at the end of air uh it is on netflix but it's at the end of the tv episode so if you watch the tv episode the episode preview which netflix never wants you to see is the end preview that's for air but uh, yeah I, if you listen all the way to the end of the five hours <laughs> of that podcast you will hear the japanese language air preview there so and i think that one got us also a lot of signups yes, our longest yeah. episode to date and i think uh, me and bob said it on another podcast we recorded but i i kind of want that to be the top like yeah. if we get to like a five hour 12 minute podcast it's like ah why and i mean if it gets longer than that i feel like we would just put out two parts to it like say i mean we've we've joked for a long time the simpsons movie will be an eight hour podcast when we do it but we'll just do it as four episodes yeah that'll be like a a month of content but yes uh (laughs) only if space jam 2 comes out will we top five hours oh god man there's one second of that movie got put out this week because uh because it was like in an hbo sign up sizzle reel and so it's like lebron with the bugs behind him they're watching a sky beam do something like that that's out there somebody on twitter one of the people working on the film said it's a mix of 2d and 3d which i guess the first movie was in a way but i wonder what they mean by that yeah i do too i wonder i the bugs in it looked sort of 2d ish to me Mm. but not not the uh you know pixar creature i was scared i'd see or really i should say a dreamworks creature i was scared (laughs) to see bugs turn into uh yeah but that uh but thank you jesse for that one too to clarify the the muting of the oscar line thing and how how that worked in the releases i definitely then fan sub tape must have been the fan subbing of that separate release version because i do remember 25 and 26 of the movie being very separated on my uh fan sub tape there are many versions of this movie aren't there uh ridiculous amount of that and probably will be redone again i would think once anno eventually puts out 3.0 plus 1.0 uh i he could just go back to end of ave and be like let's re-edit this Uh, you know let's let's tinker around there i hope he can move on at some point i'm looking forward to seeing that last one and all the other ones you know he's in his (laughs) which you lent me i I need to watch those yeah uh he's in his 60s i wonder what what else will he do if not evangelion miyazaki just turned 80 so he's not stopping yeah he's uh only death shall stay his (laughs) hand uh but yeah that is it for this episode of talk to the audience remember uh talking futurama now monthly series talking in the hill coming march 26 and uh we're continuing our talking simpsons alternation between uh season two and season 12 so lots of great stuff coming in the future uh-huh. we hope you stay on board or we hope you join the patreon if you're not on board yet because there's so much stuff going on there that you should be listening to if you enjoy our voices so please thanks again for subscribing look forward to next week's season two episode with a really cool guest and uh i guess we'll see you next month yeah see you next month for another episode of talk to the audience infotainment.